We'll be picking up in Matthew 23, verse 13. And if we get through the end of the chapter, next week we'll begin a study on the end times according to Jesus. Jesus is teaching on uh, end times to his disciples, Matthew chapter 24, 25. Pretty fascinating, pretty timely in the times we're living in. So as you make your way to Matthew 23, verse 13, uh, just want to, um, yeah, I think, Erica, did you mention about Fred, his, his father? I was running down the hallway. Yeah, Fred Sweet uh, lost his, his dad suddenly the other day. So we just want to be praying for the Sweet family. And so, um, Lord, we just lift up Fred and Lori to you and the family there. God, just so suddenly losing your parent. And uh, we just ask you to administer to him this morning. We love him. We know your spirit is there and you're working. And so, God, just comfort him this morning. And uh, our hearts break for them. Be with those who are hurting in our body, God, as well, that are at home and are facing some heavy things, God. We're they're not here, but we are together. We're one in you. So, Lord, encourage them and lift them up this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. Well, as you're making your way to Matthew 23, 13, that's kind of where we're going to be. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Jesus will be dead by the end of the week. That's where we are in the scriptures. Uh, he'll die at the end of the week at the hand of the religious leaders who are going to arrest him falsely. They're going to get Judas to betray here. They're working on that right now uh, behind the scenes where we are. Um, they're going to arrest him on false charges. They're going to have false witnesses. And they're going to hand him over to the Romans who are going to nail him to a cross. And Jesus already knows this is coming. Jesus, this isn't like, oh no, what's happening? Like he's already told his disciples three times, this is what's going to happen. And so as you come to Matthew chapter, uh, so basically, basically chapters 21 through 23, what's happening there is, is Matthew's recording for us some of the interactions that Jesus is having with these religious leaders the last week. And these are intense exchanges, intense exchanges. Jesus holds nothing back. It's a different side of Jesus that we're, we're not necessarily used to in our culture uh, where we, we, we admire and we love the mercy and the kindness and the uh, long suffering of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus and all those things we long for. But when Jesus gets serious about some things and he has things that are hard, uh, that's also reflective in the heart of God as well. And we should pay attention here. So Matthew chapters 21 through 23 is, is capturing these conflicts back and forth between Jesus and the leaders of Israel. And as we continue in chapter 23, Jesus is in the temple courtyards. He had the temple, which is the inside of the temple where every, only the priest could go. But then you had the outer courts where it's where everybody kind of would hang out. Well, the Jews would hang out and they had, they had different sections there, but Jesus is in the place where they all hang out and they teach and they learn and they'd hang out while they're doing the offerings and all that kind of stuff. And as he's in the courtyard, the crowds are gathered around him. Uh, he's just publicly confronted the Pharisees who are trying to attack him back in chapter 22. And he immediately turns from addressing them and starts talking to the crowds at the beginning of chapter 23. So they're all there. All the leaders are there. The crowds are all gathered. He turns from, from just basically shellacking them and then turns to, and starts addressing the crowd and in the first several verses, he begins to point out the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, listen, when they teach you the word of God, do what they say. 
Obey the word of God, but don't do what they do because the reason why they're doing what they're doing is because they love to be seen by men. And so Jesus is pointing out their, 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 their heart's motive is not to honor and worship God. It is to receive the praise of people. And uh, Jesus begins to expose this publicly. He says, so, so obey the word of God, but do not follow in their footsteps. And that was a, I mean, these guys are listening, right? And as we pick up in verse 13, Jesus then turns back from addressing the crowd and starts to talk to them. And he addresses these hypocrites of leaders in their midst, the power structure of Israel. Um, and, and, and his disciples are in front of him, the crowds are there, and he directly is speaking now to the scribes and the Pharisees what will be his final public address to the nation of Israel before he dies. The rest of it is our private teachings, basically between he and his disciples. But this is the final public message that he has for Israel. And it's directed to the leadership of Israel. And, and just so we don't get it out of context, I want to read the entire chapter to you. And so you can get the thrust of what Jesus is saying publicly and openly and directly to these men. Picking up in verse 11 for context, he's speaking to the crowds in verse 11 and 12. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you have traveled across sea, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he comes, becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Verse 16, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by the oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whatever, uh, so whatever, Sorry, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Verse 21, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swells, swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier manners of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full uh, but uh, inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all in cleanness. And so you are outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are so full of, uh, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you blind 
Uh, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of uh, Barakiah, uh, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. You see your house is left desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Jesus. Lord, how serious you are. And God, um, as we go through these things uh, that you are addressing and you are obviously really intensely focused on, Lord, may your heart be our heart. And so search us, see if there be any wicked way in us, Lord, and cleanse us that we would not walk as we might be doing or have walked, but walk in righteousness like you do. So we ask this in your name. Amen. How does that sit with you? Not very PC, is it? Not very, uh, well, Jesus is about to get canceled. That's what's going to happen. Obviously, when you direct such fiery statements at the power structure of a nation, you are going to die. Jesus already knew that. He knew it was coming. He knew what he was saying. He wasn't trying to instigate anything. He was so pure, so holy, so righteous, so clean. And Israel had become so dirty, so hypocritical, so superficial. So superficial that they would crucify the one who was supposed to save them. So Jesus says in verse 13, we'll take these seven woes one at a time. We'll get through a few of them today, probably, maybe. Yeah, probably a few of them. But he begins in verse 13 with the first one. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would, go, would enter to go in. Two words we kind of need to be mindful of that Jesus is going to repeat through all of this. Um, two words, woe, and the other one is uh, hypocrites, you know. So before we get woe in, we've got to figure out what these are. Woe means grief, anguish, affliction, wretchedness, calamity, and trouble. And uh, we've heard the, 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 the phrase, woe is me, you know, it's usually sarcastically, right? <laughs> woe is me. Um, you know, it's a state of affliction, like you're just under the weight of it and all that kind of stuff. Well, in the context of Matthew 23, Jesus is not saying like, oh, you know, 
Woe is me. He's saying, woe is going to come upon you. And what the woes are, are pronouncements of judgment upon them. They are going to enter into the judgment uh, for, and they will have woe. They will have anguish and sorrow that will never end. And the reason of it is because of the second word, they were hypocrites. The word hypocrite originally meant one who wears a mask referring to a stage actor. That's the picture there, an actor, right? Um, but the word came to describe it in a negative sense, eventually, as you look at the etymology of the word, someone who pretends to be something they are not. And we, we, we glorify those people in our culture. You know, some people are amazing actors that can portray people. We, we're entertained by that, I guess, in many ways. But we also don't like it when it's, <laughs> when it's in the negative, right? When you run into hypocrites. And, and uh, so many of the people, when they're looking at the church, they look at us as hypocrites, well, Jesus is concerned about hypocrisy as well. He's really concerned with hypocrisy because truth is, is a paramount thing to him. And what Jesus is doing in front of the crowds here and his disciples in his final public address is he's ripping the mask off the leaders. So everybody sees who they really are. These men who are supposed to be shepherds, they were actually wolves leading the sheep to the slaughter, which will lead into Matthew 24, which is the end time stuff. Um, and Jesus says to them, woe to you. So Jesus pronounces a judgment upon them. And the first thing he dresses in verse 13, he says, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves and you don't allow people to go in. And so what a true shepherd of God, what a true spiritual leader is supposed to be for those of us who call ourselves pastors or elders or Bible study leaders or moms and dads and all these types of people who claim to be Christians, Right. What we are supposed to be is one who points people to the kingdom of God. We are to be those who are, by the way we live and by what we say, we are to point people to God. Uh, and we are to be servants pointing people to God, leading people to him, not blocking people from coming to him. Amen. Would you all agree with that? Like that's what you want maybe out of me. You want that out of the leadership of the church and those you admire and respect. You want people to not block you from growing in the Lord, not to dissuade you from that, not to keep you from that. They want, they want, you just don't know you're a sheep. You want to be led to the Lord. Does that make sense? You want that out of your leadership. Here's the thing in John 10, 10, let me give you some context. When he talks about going, entering the kingdom of heaven, what, what he's talking about, what's Jesus talking about there in John 10, not 10, 10, but John 10, Jesus is painting a picture of how people enter the kingdom of heaven. Because it's really important because either you're in or you're out. How do you enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus says in verses 7 through 10 of John 10, he says, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is declaring that he's the door of the sheep. And so he's using this analogy and what he's saying is the same thing he says later in John 14 in a different way. John 14, six, he says, I am the way I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so the way people enter the kingdom of God is through the king. It's through Jesus. It's through the son of God. That is how you enter the kingdom. It's not through a church although we might be one who's supposed to point to the door. 
It's not through a pastor. It's not through, uh, you know, a membership. It is through a person, the, the son of God. You must enter the kingdom, not by saying the right words, not by hopping and, and doing all these things, but by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. What happens is you need to translate your, you need to give up your citizenship of being a human, so to speak, and you need to get new citizenship into the kingdom of heaven, which is the eternal kingdom. And there's only one way in through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the message is there. And the father has declared that to enter his kingdom, you must believe upon his son. That is how you enter. You must believe. And you're like, okay, well, what is believe? That's a really good question. What does it mean to believe? Well, it's not just believing that Jesus exists. You must believe who he is, that he is the son of God. He's not an angel. He's not all these other things. He's the son of God. And in being the son of God, he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In other words, we've sinned against this other kingdom and we're asking for entrance into that kingdom. And they're like, you can't come in here with all that. Well, how do I enter into that kingdom? Well, you've got to deal with that before you come in. Well, how is it dealt with? Well, he sent his son and said, I will die for all the things you've done against me that you may enter, I'll pay it fully. That you'll be forgiven. And not only that, I'll rise again, that you'll have eternal life. You'll have citizenship, eternal citizenship in this kingdom. Well, how do I get that? You didn't do anything. He did it. You believe that he died for you. You believe by faith and you believe that he rose again. And what happens is God, by his grace, he changes us on the inside. He makes us born again, born into the kingdom. That's an amazing thing. You're born into the kingdom of God. You don't earn it. You don't do anything else. You believe it and you are changed. And by grace, you enter in through Jesus Christ. And we find pasture in his kingdom. He is our shepherd. And so You see, Jesus is the door to the kingdom. He is the way. He is the truth. He's the only way, exclusively, no other way. And Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, woe to you because you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those to enter, to go into it. What's he talking about? Well, you are obstacles between me and the sheep. You have become obstacles between me and the people that would come to me. I believe God is sovereign. I believe he overcomes those things, but he's still holding them to account. They stood between people and the Lord instead of pointing people into the Lord. Listen, one way you can tell if if a spiritual leader is legitimate or not, is that true spiritual leaders will point people to believe in Jesus, not themselves. That's one big giant tell. They will point people to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was an excellent example of that. He was doing amazing things. He was witnessing out in the wilderness so much so that people are going, are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? And he says, no, 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 no. He says, listen, I baptize you with water, but one who's coming, he has the power to baptize you with water symbolizing eternal life or with fire, eternal judgment. I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. You see what he did there? 
do not look to me. And he points people to Jesus. And then when Jesus popped on the scene a day later, he goes, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. True leaders are not obstacles to Jesus. They point people to Jesus. We need to know that. And you need to know that because, you know, it used to be when we didn't have social media, you know, there was, there was, there was a lot less, you know, we could kind of, as shepherds, you can track the wolves. Well, wolves are right here (laughs) and you're looking for answers and you go find it and you don't know, you just walked into a, a slaughterhouse, you know? And so listen, the gospel will be central in the, in the lives of a, of a true religious leader, the, the good news of the kingdom of Christ, the good news of Jesus. See, we preach Jesus, we preach Christ, we point people to him. And Jesus is the door. We need to know that as Christians. But these men were obstacles. Why? Because they need, the, Jesus says, because they neither enter themselves nor let others enter. Listen, they weren't saved there are people in positions of spiritual authority and power and in places and churches and in pulpits and all that stuff that aren't even saved. They're religious. Now I'm not the judge of someone's soul. I can only tell the fruit and the indicators that's up to God. Right? So we don't want to get into that place where we're oh, that person's this and that, but you can just tell like, Hey, number one, are they pointing people to Jesus, the real Jesus, not a pretend Jesus, not the spirit brother of Lucifer Jesus? Are they pointing people to Jesus, the person of Jesus? Well, Jesus says these men didn't even believe in him. They were opposed to him. They were opposed to the very door that was sent to save them. They themselves did not enter. They didn't accept that Jesus was the Christ, the son of God. They didn't believe that he is the way, the truth, the life, that he was the manna from heaven. They, they threw all of that out. They just viewed him as an obstacle to their own power. They didn't believe he was the son of David, let alone the one who would save them. And so why in the world would they lead people to the savior? They wouldn't, and they don't, and they don't today. Listen, there's a, there's a lot of people. I wrote this down because I think this is important. There are a lot of people who appear to be enlightened and they appear to have spirituality and they have great understanding and they're, they understand philosophy and they understand the way the world works. And it is awfully alluring. And you can learn a lot from people like that. Don't get me wrong. But listen, if they're not pointing you to the person of Jesus Christ, not a fictitious Jesus, but the person of Jesus Christ, the, the real Jesus that the, the, that the Bible declares, the son of God, not a picture of the son of God, but him. If they aren't pointing you to him as the, the way, the truth, the life, they are imposters. They are obstacles. They are false witnesses. They are shutting the door of the kingdom upon people in the sense of they are directing people away from Jesus. That's important to know. So when you listen to, and I've seen it a lot as I'm I'm kind of listening to certain flows, there is a lot of a reemergence of like Christian conservative kind of talk radio stuff. And you've got all this stuff starting to get mashed together where uh, people who are kind of Christians who are political are really getting 
They're mashing it all together. You can't see the lines and you don't know what truth is. And because you're excited about maybe a truth, you get pulled in into this vortex that's a lie. And you don't know the difference because you're just, you haven't walked along. I get fooled. Anybody else? Like, it's like, so this is dangerous. The enemy is clever. He's got some landmine for everyone. And so the so-called church is full of people who do religious stuff all day long, but they never call people to repentance and never point people to Jesus. Right? So listen, when I stop pointing you to Jesus as the way and the truth of life, you might get so annoyed that I tell you about that all the time. Right? But listen, if I stop pointing you to that, it's time for a revolt. It's time to get me out of here. Make sense? Because that's, he's it. And, and, and these men not only shut the door, they tried to nail the door shut at the end of the week, didn't they? But he rose again. Amen. So we have to ask ourselves as we're looking at those guys, pointing the finger at those guys, am I an obstacle? Am I an obstacle? Pastor, Matt, parishioner, so-and-so. Am I an obstacle for people coming to Jesus? Do I point people to Jesus? My words, my life, my actions. Do I communicate the gospel to them or do I withhold the gospel because of whatever reason? And I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just saying, it's like, we have to ask ourselves, what are the obstacles? Am I being an obstacle with how God would seek to reach people through me? Amen? I mean, these are honest questions. I ask that from the pulpit. I ask these things of myself, you know? And so, or do we shut the door for others, you know? And, and, and by the way, I go a step further. If I'm an obstacle, did, am I a true believer? You know, it's like, I, I don't want to get in there and go, oh, I'm not saved because I don't witness all that stuff. That's what I'm saying. Paul says, hey, man, make sure you're in the faith, right? Paul says, make sure you're in the faith. So a good tree, let's reverse engineer this. A good tree will bear good fruit. Make sense? So if we're in him, there's going to be Christ's desire for us to do that. Make sense? So we're going to want to do those things, but there'll be obstacles within us that God has to work through as we get over ourselves and over all these types of things and we grow in, in how to share and communicate the gospel and be a witness in our lives and all that kind of stuff. But if there, that is not even on your radar, if the loss is not even there, then I wouldn't try to put religion on top of that, you know, how to, how to rightly live. I would look back, I would look even dirt deeper and say, am I, have I even been born again or am I religious? Because Jesus cares about people. He cares about where they're going. He cared about these guys enough to tell them. He cared enough about the crowds who were there, who were listening to them and looking to them to tell them the truth and to receive the ridicule that he would receive knowing full well it was going to happen because he wanted to warn them in love, those people, his disciples, and also those men. That's our leader. So it's a lot. They're hard questions lest we judge these men before we look at ourselves. Amen. So let's pray that God would Stir that up. Now it's for verse 14. How many of you have verse 14 in your Bibles? Raise your hand. How many of you don't have a verse 14 in your, hand, in your Bible? Raise your hand. Heretics, leave now. <laughs> What's going on there? 
Verse 14 is not in the ESCV, but it is in the New King James and the NIV probably. Verse 14 reads, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Now, the reason the ESV does not have verse 14 in the text, but makes note of it in the footnotes, is that the earlier manuscripts do not have that verse in there. This is one of the major criticisms of people about the Bible. They, they often come to you, people who really don't, you know, who, who just kind of got a cursory knowledge of, of things. They say, listen, it's been written by men. You can't trust it. It's been you know, people have added to it throughout the ages. How many of you have heard that in discussing people or have you, have you even said that before or might even think that? Well, here's the cool thing. The Bible has more manuscripts than any other thing on earth. Like that we know, I mean, obviously there's digital things today, but we have like 25,000 pieces of manuscript. We can reconstruct the whole New Testament just from the, what the early church fathers have said in their writings, extra biblical stuff. 25,000. So here's the cool thing is when you have what, the earliest texts and you know what they say, you know when changes have been made to them. Does that make sense? And so you have the earliest manuscripts, you're going along and all of a sudden, hey, well, why is this manuscript now different from what we've had all the way from the beginning? That's what happened, verse 14. You're reading along in the Bible and all of a sudden you get to verse 14. And, and so what happens is the, the people who are putting together the Bible... They let you know in the front of the Bible, the part that you don't read when they tell you all their scholarly stuff. They go, listen, we choose to take those, to not put them in there because we just want to have the original texts in there. And so they put them at the bottom in the footnote and they make a little note. It says, go check it out. This is what it says. It's not in there, but we want to let you know. NIV, New King James, they go, hey, we're leaving it in here, but we're making a note that it's not in the earliest. Does that make sense? So they just made a call on what that was. Now, here's the thing. Is what was written true? That's a good question. And this is the case with like 99% of these cases. You have a scribe or someone who's translating something and they take a verse from someone else because Jesus is talking about what in, in, this, in this current verse here as he's going through these things. He's, he actually talks about that in Luke 20. Look over at Luke 20. Flip over at Luke 20. Flip over at Luke 20. Do it. Luke 20, 45 through 47. Luke 20, 45 through 47. Look what it says. It says, in the hearing of all these people, Jesus said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats at the synagogues and all the places of honor at the feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. That's exactly what it says there in Matthew 23, but it's not in the original. The guy said, oh, look, all these other things he says in Luke 20, this has got to be here. Let's go put it over there to make it right. No, it's not there. We can catch that stuff. We know, and this is usually what happens. And so we, we've got an amazing the accurate scripture in front of you. Do not worry about all that stuff. And when you have questions, come and ask, you know, don't immediately throw everything away. So that's what happened there. That's why verse 14 is not in the ESV, but it is in the other ones. And so we're going to disregard verse 14. You can go study it in Luke because that's where it is. So rest easy. 
So there are seven woes, not eight, just to let you know. Matthew 23, woe number two, verse 15. We're going woefully slow. (laughs) Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when they have become a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Those are hard words. Jesus is speaking about the dedication of these men. The dedication of these men to their cause, which was, by the way, themselves. They were dedicated in charismatic evangelists. Do not associate dedication and charisma and follow through in all these types of things to necessarily mean that someone is true. There are people very dedicated and off. Does that make sense? People can be very dedicated to what they perceive as truth and be off. These men were there. They were dedicated. They were willing to go long distances and they were making these converts. The word proselyte uh, proselyte speaks of a Gentile converting to Converting to Judaism. That's the idea. They would go even to Gentile faraway lands. They'd get people who just to go grab one of those guys and they would go do that. That's how dedicated these people were. And so these men would go to great lengths. But here's the thing Jesus said of their converts, they made them twice as much a child of hell as them. That's pretty scary. That's, that's, is a, is a condemnation that they were not only a child of hell, means they were headed to, they were a child of the enemy. They were a child, not of God, of hell, not of heaven, of hell. See the picture there, but that those who followed them embodied to a greater degree, the falsehood that they themselves held. They became twice as much a child of hell as them. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Therefore, judgment was coming. Listen, false leaders can deceive people with dedication and charisma and devotion to a cause. But what are they producing? What are they producing? And the scribes and the Pharisees were creating scribes and Pharisees that were even more pharisaical than them. Twice as much. From good to bad. Listen, the chief end of true Christian evangelism and discipleship is that the character and attributes of Christ would be formed in a person. Isn't your heart like for your own kids to be twice as much as you, you know, you know what I'm saying? That they would have more opportunity. They have more character than you. They would overcome your flaws. All these things we long for in our kids and we work and we care and we sacrifice so that they would have those situations, I think. And that's a, that's a loving thing to do. Well, similarly in Christ, like Paul, he labored so hard. He says, listen, I'm like a, I'm like a father to you. And he's like, I'm a, uh, he says, I'm like a mother in labor. He says, I'm going to keep laboring in your life until Christ is formed in you. And this was his concern with the church that they would become mature in Christ. Not that it, Paul would say in a way, Hey, listen, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, Look at me. I'm a physical example here and now of, of, of someone who's following Jesus. But ultimately, through my life and what I do, I want to point you to him. Right? You're looking at me, but I, I'm redirecting you. Like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, right? 
And, and he was longing for them to grow into Christ likeness. That is what we long for in the church. Not that you just have Bible knowledge, yay, but knowledge can puff up. But it's knowledge mixed with love, right? Love builds up. And so we become like Jesus in our character and how we walk. And that's what we long for here. Not to be twice the son of hell, but twice the son of heaven, so to speak, to grow in his likeness. But these men reproduced men in their likeness, not his. And Jesus said to them, woe for that. Well, the third woe and another example, of bad leadership. Verse 16 Woe to you blind guides, for you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound to his oath. And what we're going to see here is, a, is an emphasis on the external. This is their blindness. And by the way, this can be our blindness as well. So watch out for this. He says, woe to you for your spiritual blindness in, in leading these people. And as one of the most, this is one of the most concerning things about those who lead are you a leader somewhere? Are you leading someone? Are you put in a position of authority and power? Well, what do you focus on? Do you focus on the heart of the matter or are you all about the externals? This is something we struggle with and especially with our relationship with the Lord. Are you here now as a superficial duty? I would encourage you to, to, to change your heart, to seek God on that. Are you here because you have to do it out of a guilty feeling checkbox? Is it the external relationship, the religious relationship you have with God? You've got to keep up appearances or whatever it is. Or is it a love for the Lord and a love for his people? And here's the thing. We're, we all are going to experience that hypocrisy in our lives. Anyone else? But we've got to ask the Lord to change that in us, and it's his will to do it. He'll change us. That's what God wants to do. He wants to teach us, and quite often he'll put us in, he'll put us, he'll allow us to experience situations where we go, oh, man, I'm such a hypocrite. I've got, I've got, I'm, I'm playing here. And then we need to do a reboot with him. Any of you guys need a reboot this morning? Like he wants on fire people, and he will give you that fire. He is the, the fire that never gives out. Run to him and ask him for help. Well, these guys, they were blind guides and Jesus gives examples of how they were blindly leading people. And here's the scary thing is, is our leaders blind? Usually when lead, we, we kind of get a sense of it, I guess, politically sometimes. Amen. We go, wait, why are you guys doing this? Am I not getting something here? Why are we driving really fast off the cliff? Anybody else sense that? Like, why are we spending the way we're spending all that kind of stuff, regardless of your political stuff? You just got to know things are wrong, right? Well, quite often as sheep, we don't understand the path or the roads or anything. And we're just subject to our leaders who are leading us. But do they have vision? Well, Jesus sees through all this. He knows where the path is. He knows what truth is. And, and here they were, they were blind guides. They were blind leading the blind. And Jesus gives examples of how they were blind. If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing you say. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by its oath. And so listen, in Exodus uh, 27, it forbid anybody by swearing by the name of God. Listen, Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. 
Don't get into all the shenanigans. God, if you do this, then I'll do this and this. And, and no, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Live truthfully. That's what God desires. That's what he desired of his people back then. And that's what he desires of his church now. To live truthfully before him. Well, these guys were making a bunch of weird ways to where they could make people promise. So they wouldn't swear to God because you couldn't do that because the Bible didn't say it. But we're going to find 30 other ways to do that. And so one of the ways they would do it is they'd sit there and say, hey, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. We can't do that, right? Yeah, but if anybody swears by the gold of the temple, hey, that's legit. It's the shiny part. <laughs> it's the shiny part, right? So they had people swear by the gold of the temple saying that if they swear by it, then, you know, it, it counts. And Jesus calls them on it. Not that he's promoting swearing by anything. He's just pointing out their hypocrisy in the midst of their mess. In 17 says, you blind fools for which is greater the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred. Is it, they're focused on the shadow, not the substance. He's not trying to get them to swear. And so he does it again. Verse 18. If anyone says anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. Well, what makes the sacrifice special? Is it the sacrifice itself or is it the altar that makes it it's special? And Jesus is saying, listen, as the altar has more significance than the sacrifice there. Come on. That's what makes it sacred is that the, 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 sac the altar was set apart. And then verse 20, so whoever swears by the altar, he swears by it and everything on it. You can't disconnect all of these things he's saying. Ultimately, it's about your truthfulness to God. And that's kind of what he's getting at that. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. You can't swear by the temple and, not, and disconnect the one who makes the temple. It's like your house. Like throwing an egg at your house is like, that's assaulting you, isn't it? Like you're connected to your, to your house in a way, you know? And, and, and same thing. It's like you can't disrespect the building when it's the one who made the building special. That's the one you're ultimately lying to or swearing to and all these types of things. And there was just the superficiality to everything. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. They were blind. They didn't see the significance. They didn't understand the altar, the temple, the throne all had their significance because of him. Listen, what, you know, it's like this building what gives it its, its significance? Ultimately, well, it's kind of you guys, right? Us, because we're the church, and yet we call this building the church, but what's the church really? It's the people. So, but who are the church? Why are we significant? What binds us all together? God. We're his church. We're the church. We can separate these things out. Let me ask you that when you leave this building, do you stop being the church? 
You mean you're still the church on Monday morning all the way through Saturday? But you're not in the building. It's pretty significant, isn't it? You're still the people of God. You still hold that significance. You know, you're not looking at the superficiality of it. Let me back this up for a second. The reason why we gather together on Sunday mornings is not to make us happy. It's because our Lord called us to meet together on Sunday mornings when he rose from the dead on Sunday, when he met with the disciples the next day, I mean, the next week on Sunday morning. And then that pattern was laid out every single day, every single time in the New Testament through the end. He set the pattern and he called us to meet together and we're exhorted to gather together. Why? To worship him because we love him because we, and, and how does it, how is that expressed? Well, we're in his word together. We want to hear what he has to say corporately together. It's a priority in the life of the church. This is what Christians do. We gather together on Sunday or whenever we gather, right? And we're gathering together to honor him, to love him. And then also, what does he want of us? To love one another. And so what's your mission here on Sunday morning? To love God. And so when we're singing songs and we're kind of like, yeah, your love is better than life. I want a taco. I don't know. I'm not, I'm just saying I look out and, and I've been where you are, but there's, there can be within us this superficiality, you know, and there has to be a choice within us, something that responding to the spirit of God within our hearts saying, I'm coming here because I love you and I'm going to be with you with people who love you with your church. And I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to listen and I'm going to, I'm going to look for opportunities to love. I'm going to look for people to pour into. That's a main thing of Sunday morning. Well, what about Monday? That stops. It's done. You know, Monday, it happens too. What about Tuesdays? Hmm taken a Christian day off <laughs> Wednesdays. You think it stops? No, it's, this is who we are. We're not to focus on the gold. The gold is sweet. Great. We get to meet in the building, but it's the one who makes the gold significant. It's, it's him. You know, we live for him. And Jesus was pointing out to these guys, listen, you're all focused on the external stuff. You're going through the motions. You're pointing people to go through the motions. I'm guilty of this. But what we want, what God wants is our hearts, church. He wants your hearts. Are you here? Are you his? He wants you on fire. He wants me on fire. He doesn't want lukewarm. He wants hearts beating and loving him and one another. And we can't stir that up. That only comes about by connecting to him and loving him and being with him and letting him have mercy upon us and cleansing our soul and just this connection. And I'm speaking of something because that I often get disconnected with that. Anybody else? And we die inside and we die as a church when we're not connected to the vine. So 
what people needed to hear is that God wanted them to live in, in the light of him, in the truth, to let their yes be yes, their no be no, and, and not to live in a superficial relationship with him. That's the opposite of what, what pleased the Lord. You know? And this is why God gives us choice, I think, you know, when you look at like Genesis. Here's the tree. Don't go there. Come to me. You know, and he gives you the choice to love him or not. He gives you the choice to love or not. He gives you the choice to put him first or not. All these types of things. And so, yeah. This is the main theme. So I'm, I'm praying for me and I'm praying for us this week that we would have not a superficial relationship with the Lord, a, a hypocritical thing. Anybody else? Anybody else kind of convicted by this? Because I was just thinking about all of you and not me this week. So I was going through this. I was going, how, how horrible you all are. Um, you know, just you just need to tighten up. No, I'm just going, oh, Lord, I got to talk about hypocritical critical leadership. Oh, help me. You know, this, this cuts. You know, where's my heart? You know, is it a superficial thing? And I, and I feel quite often it is. I go through seasons. Um, no excuses, though. No excuses, right? We just need to run to the throne and ask for help. So what I would encourage you all to do this week is to call it out like it is with one another and ask for God to help you. And, and for me as well, I'll do the same thing. And just that we'd be praying for one another. Does that sound good? And that we would reconnect to the one we love. I know you all are all, I, I'm talking as if you aren't, but I'm just probably talking for me. And, uh, and that you all would just experience his love and his joy again as you connect to him. And that the burden of religion would just fall away. And that the relationship of joy and love and connection to him, the spirit would just come in and refresh you. Amen. So, Lord, we just pray as we look at these men and your seriousness about those things. Lord, I see that in my life. I see it in our church. And Lord, if I can only see a glimpse of it, um, what do you see? And Lord, I love your letters to your churches in, in Revelation because all of it has hope in it. You're always coming to them and and pointing out what's going well and what's not going well. And, and you are calling them to yourself. I think it's the Laodicea that there is a church there that says, we've got, we've got needed nothing. We're good. I'm fine. I'm doing great. But you say, but you do not realize you are naked, poor, wretched, and blind. They didn't see the truth. Lord, open our eyes to the truth this week that we are needing you more than ever, needing you more than ever. And you are the sweetness, Lord, of our soul that we desire. So come in, Lord, and restore us. May we be a power for you in this age. In our weakness, Lord, may you be made strong.
We love you, Lord. We give you this week and just ask for your spirit to guide. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Love you. If you need prayer, here for you. Um, and pray for one another throughout the week. See ya.